Father, we just thank you for today. I thank you for what you've already done in, in, in the 9 a.m. service and in our worship and with the baby dedication, God. I pray, Father, that right now I would only speak what I hear you say. God, I pray that any wall, any hindrance, anything that would try to attempt uh, us from hearing what you want to say to us, God, I speak those voices will be silenced. And I pray you would do in this service what only you can do in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Seven weeks ago, we started this series, Anatomy of a Disciple. And maybe we should have called it anatomy of a disciple of Jesus. Because here's the truth. Everyone in this room, you're being discipled by something or someone. Everyone. We saw it in Mexico when we would go into the flea markets there. And parents would have their little kids there uh, showing them how to make deals, how to do the, You're being discipled by something or someone. But this series is about what it looks like. Because Jesus said, go and make disciples. It's hard to make something you have no clue what it looks like. And I think the church has done a really poor job of telling us what a disciple looks like. And so this, I believe this uh, series has been pivotal for us as a church and as you as individuals, because if we're not being a disciple of Jesus and discipling others to become like Jesus, we are missing the entire point of what we're supposed to be doing. Are you hearing me, church? Jesus, oh, I know, I know my first Sunday back, I missed last week, I'm supposed to be really nice. And if it's your first time, I usually am, uh, but Listen, Jesus didn't come down the cross, rise from the dead so that we could come to church, get saved, and then go out, do whatever we want to, feel bad about it, come back in, pray, then go back out, live ever how we want to, come back in, repent. No. If that is your interpretation of grace, you don't know what grace means. We talked about this in week one. Grace, when you experience grace, grace changes people. You cannot experience grace and continue to live your life doing whatever you want with little to no conviction. Now, I'm not saying you, 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 you get saved and then you live it. No, you're going to make mistakes. But the difference is God convicts you, Holy Spirit convicts you, and you get back up. You get back up. See, Jesus shows up and, and on, the, on the shores of the Sea of Galilee when he begins to call his disciples. He comes along Simon and Andrew, and then he comes along James and John. And he, say, he, he didn't say, hey, guys, follow me, and I'm going to teach you, how, teach you how to continue living like you're living, but now you're going to feel good about yourselves because you're going to heaven. He simply says, follow me. See, Jesus actually shows up before that in Mark 1-4 after he's been in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. And he says this. These are some of the first words. He says, he says the time has come. The kingdom of God has come. Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the good news. That word repent has got a bad rap. Because most of us, we hear the word repent, and we picture the guy standing on a corner telling everybody they're going to hell, and he acts like he's happy that you're going to hell. Come on, have you seen that guy? But repent simply means change directions. Change your perspective. 
Change how you see things. And Jesus says, repent, change directions, change the way. The kingdom of God is here. But if you want to be part of it, if you want to experience it in its fullness, you're going to have to change directions. You're going to have to begin to see things different. And then two verses later, that's when he looks at Simon and Andrew and says, follow me. And they become his disciples. They become disciples of of a rabbi. But if you've been here, you'll know this. Jesus wasn't just any rabbi. He was a rabbi with what? Shmika. Meaning he had authority to teach. He He had authority to interpret the scripture. And so these guys, they show up and say, we will be your disciples. And then Matthew 10, we're going to start here, but then we're going to be in Luke 8 in a minute. Matthew 10, Jesus makes one of the most un-PC statements. In fact, if he made this statement in today's culture, there would be a cry to cancel Jesus. But Jesus doesn't really care because he's going to lay it out like it's supposed to. Listen to what Jesus tells the people in Matthew 10. Look what he says. If you love your father or mother more than you love me, you're not worthy of being mine. If you love your son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. Think about this. Jesus, the very epitome of unconditional love and selflessness, says this. If you're more devoted to your mom and dad, son and daughter, your career, your hobbies, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, if you have more passion and more heart for them than you do me, you're not worthy of being mine. Wow. That's not the nice Jesus we like. We want the compassionate Jesus. But here's what Jesus was saying. See, that word worthy, that word worthy, it, it, carry, it, it comes from the Greek word oxios. And what it means is having weight. It's like a scale. It's weightiness. It's a heaviness. And here's what Jesus was saying. He said, go ahead, take the things that are most important to you. Mom, dad, son, daughter, boyfriend, girlfriend. Go ahead and take your political party. Put it on that thing that's most important to you. Because I'm convinced there are some people that believe more in their political party than they do in Jesus. Oh, that's free. Put that on there. Put put, put your careers on there. Put your finances, your toys, your hobbies, your vacations. Put all those stuff on there. And here's the point. When you weigh them against me, there is no competition. Because I am worth more than any of that. And if you have more passion for these little things, let me tell you, I'm worth more. I'm worth it. I'm worth worth walking away from different things. I'm worth giving up different things. I'm worth it. Let me move this out of the way. See, this, what Jesus said in those three verses, 
That goes against everything our culture is telling us about Christianity. Because Christianity today says, I'll serve Jesus on my terms. Problem is, you can't serve him on your terms. You serve him on his terms. I'm reminded of this story I heard about this very religious guy and uh, he had went out and found, he was uh, just out looking at the antique, and he comes across this statue of Jesus. And it was kind of gaudy, but he was so proud of his, his find. He brings it back home, and he's like, you remember the guy, the dad in Christmas story uh, that finds, gets the leg lamp? And he's so proud of it and wants to put it front and center. Well, that's the way he puts this Jesus statue front and center in the room with, without talking to his wife first. And she comes in and sees it. And she doesn't want to be offensive because, well, it's Jesus. Um, so she's like, uh, can we put that in another room? So it's, he grumps. He, okay, let's say. So they take it and put it in another room. Well, she doesn't like it in that room either. So they take it to another room, and all this is going on. Their daughter's upstairs listening to them argue back and forth about this statue of Jesus. Finally, she comes down and says, Mom, Dad, you're going to have to decide what you're going to do with Jesus. And that's where some of you are today. You're going to have to decide what you're going to do with Jesus. And here's what I mean. Some of you are not followers of Jesus. You're just fond of him. You like the stuff he says. You like his movies. You like some of his songs. You like his, some of his T-shirts, bumper stickers. You like the cross. But you're just fond of him. You're not an all-out follower of Jesus. I get this uh, uh, Two, a couple hundred years ago, uh, German writer Johann Wolfgang van Gogh wrote this. We are shaped and fashioned by what we love. See, the goal of every disciple was not to know, just know what their rabbi knew. The goal was to become exactly like their rabbi. And what I mean is that, is that that rabbi began to shape and form and fashion every aspect of their life. They loved it. When it, when it comes down, it, here's the, Psalms 115.8 says this, those who make idols will become like them. You know what I'm saying? He said, you become like what you choose to worship. Whatever you choose to worship, it fashions you. It, 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 it makes you who you are. Uh, and when it comes down to it, Matthew 10, that verse we just read, it's all about worship. What you worship. Because it, it's going to define everything about us. Anybody uh, heard of a guy named David Foster Wallace? Highly respected author and, and a decidedly non-Christian. He made it known for that. Well, in 2005, he was doing a commencement uh, speech at Kenyon College. And this is what this decidedly non-Christian said about worship. Think, get this. He says, there is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what we worship. 
and an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. He says, if you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, you will discover you never have enough. You'll feel it's never enough. It's the truth, he says. He says, worship your own body, your beauty, your sexual allure, and you'll always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you'll die a million deaths before they finally plant you in the ground. He says, worship power. You'll feel weak and afraid, and you'll never, you, that, that need for power over others will never end. He said, worship your intellect being seen as smart, and you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, and always on the verge of being found out. He says this, get this, look, the insidious thing about these forms of worship is not that they're evil or sinful. This is a non-Christian. He said, it is that they are unconscious. They are default settings. They're the kind of worship you just gradually slip into day after day. See, Jesus knew this long before Wallace did that. The world is not divided into people who worship and people who don't worship. Everybody worships something or someone Everyone worships. It's not about those who worship, who don't. It's dividing the people who, uh, where you decide to put your worth. What, what do you decide to put your worth? What weighs heavy? What is on the scales of your life that you think they outweigh Jesus and his worthiness? There's a difference, big difference between being fond of Jesus and being a follower of Jesus. And I know there are a whole lot of people in churches across the country, in this church, those watching online, that are simply fond of Jesus. But here's, listen to me. Here's what I know. If Jesus were to show up and show you his plans for your life and what you could be, if he were to show, show you the doors that he'd like to open up for you, the opportunities he'd like to give for you, the people's lives that could be changed through you, you would be blown away. But the problem is you'll never get there being fond of Jesus. So, Kelly, what does a follower of Jesus look like? I am so glad you asked. Uh, turn with me to Luke chapter 8. Uh, Luke chapter 8, leading up to where we're going to jump in, Jesus lays out this parable of the seed and the sower, talks about throwing the the seeds out. And then where we're going to jump in, he begins to explain the meaning of it. And in this explanation, I believe Jesus lays out four seats that we will either sit in one of these four seats as a response to the question, are you going to follow Jesus? Luke 8, starting with verse 11. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is God's word. The seeds that fell on the footpath represent those who hear the message, only to have the devil come and take it away from their hearts and prevent them from believing and being saved. Uh, are there any farmers in the house? Anybody farmed? Couple, anybody plant a garden? Anybody grow your own herbs? The legal kind, the legal kind. 
Yeah, I, I'm not a farmer, would never claim to be. In fact, my wife will tell you, there is only one plant that she has ever kept alive in her whole life, and that, and that was from my dad's funeral. And you you want to kill your plant? Give it to my wife. She does not have a green thumb. It's black. And she, she'll tell you that. It's not something I'm, I'm calling out. I, I never, but what, Je, Jesus knew who he's speaking to. To these people, farming was life. It's how they ate. It's where they, how they provided a living. So he was speaking their language. And see, back then, what, what was happening is they didn't have tractors, didn't have these fancy equipment. They had an ox and a plow. And that would play, it would, it would dig up and make the dirt soft enough so when the seed was thrown in there, it could, it could get roots and grow. But what would happen is when that farmer would be walking down these rows, he'd pull out some seed out of that bag and some of it would spill over to the parts that weren't plowed, that were hard, where they'd been walking. And because it didn't hit the soft soil, it couldn't produce anything. And then it would end up dying. And this hard ground that Jesus is talking about here, it's symbolic of a condition that he calls a hard heart. In other words, they hear the truth preached. They hear it preached. The seed spills out. They can hear the truth, but it doesn't take root. And that leads us to the first response. When asked, will you be a follower of Jesus? Some will respond this way. I don't want to hear it. Here, let me explain this way. When Denise and I uh, first met, got, uh, we were getting mar- married, she, she had a, do- a 15-year-old daughter, April. And her mind was, I, I, I don't want to have any more kids. And we, we got engaged because she said, Kelly, you know, if you marry me, I don't want to have any kids. But in my mind, I'm thinking, listen, how's she going to say no to all this? And, uh, and there's even more now than there was then. So, <laughs> so, and, uh, so we had kids, uh, had Kennedy, had Sheridan. And, and then, and, and when we, after that, she began, she said, uh, Kelly, I think, uh, maybe you ought to consider having a surgical procedure. I said, I think you ought to have one. And she, she began to lay out her, well, they say it's easier on the man. Who says? A woman? And what well, doctors say, and, and what I directly went into, because I did not care what the truth was. I didn't care what professionals said. I did not want to hear it. And that's somewhere some of you are today. I know what the truth is. I just don't want to hear it. I I know what it said. I just don't want to hear it. When it comes to forgiveness, I could preach on forgiveness. I could show you what Jesus, what the Bible says about forgiveness. And they'll be, and and I'm talking about Christians, followers of Jesus. They'll be like, I know what God says. I know what the Bible says about forgiveness, but you don't know my story. You don't know how I was hurt. You don't know what they did to me. 
You don't know the abuse. And I will say this. You are absolutely right. I don't know. You were hurt. You were betrayed. Things were said about you. Things were done to you. But even through all that, that does not negate the fact that we as followers of Jesus are called to forgive. Remember what Jesus, he was teaching his disciples how to pray. And this is what he included in the prayer he was teaching them. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who've sinned against us. The Passion paraphrased it like this. Forgive us the wrongs we have done as we ourselves release forgiveness to those who have wronged us. Forgive us our sins. Don't, don't we want forgiveness, every one of us? Come on. Don't we want forgiveness even from people that we know we've wronged? Jesus says, and forgive others. Forgive others. But there'll be those in here that says, I just don't want to hear it. I know what it says. I just don't want to hear it. I could talk about everybody's favorite subject in church. Sex. People, when I talk about sex or money, you can almost feel the sphincter just shrink up. See, some of you are like, I could show you what the Bible says about sex. I, I could show you what it says, and that's any kind of sex outside of marriage. There are no loopholes. Are you following me? I could show you where the Bible says that, that sex is for a man and woman who've committed themselves to each other through marriage, but the response, especially in this culture, is I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Or they'll just find a church that agrees with them. They don't care what the Bible says. They want a church that agrees with them so they don't have to deal with how they're living. Mm. Because if we don't like what we're hearing, we just question the standard. We question the scale. Like, hey, I don't like the way this looks on this scale. It's not that I'm wrong. The scale's wrong. Come on, we jump on the scale at home, and it says one person at a time, please. The scale's got to be wrong. It's not us. It's the scale. And what we say, I don't want, I know what it says, but I don't want to hear it. I could talk about salvation. I could stand up here and tell you, as I do every week, what Jesus has done for you, the price he paid for you. And you will sit there and say, I know that. And I know I need to surrender, but I just don't want to hear it today. See, here's the thing about Jesus. For too long, the church has, has thought Jesus was after a behavior modification. Jesus is after one thing, your heart. Your heart. He's after your heart. And if there's a heart issue that God is coming after you and I about, and we continue to sit in that chair and time and time again say, listen, I know it's there, but I just don't want to hear it. Nothing will ever change, and we'll sit in that chair the rest of our lives. The second response to are you going to be a follower of Jesus? Oh, don't get mad at the messenger. I don't have time to. 
And that's the seat some of you choose to sit in. I had a best friend growing up. His name was Robbie Beard. Robbie, uh, every once in a while, uh, his caregiver will bring him, and he'll, they'll sit back in the back. And me and Robbie were inseparable for years. I met him in elementary, Graysville Elementary School. And here's how I met him. He came to school. We were having a talent show at school. He came dressed up as a duck and sang this. Some of y'all, if you see if you remember this song, Disco Duck. Anybody remember it? Disco, Disco. And then even with the duck sound. Uh, And I thought, this guy gets me. We became inseparable all the way through high school. But then we kind of parted ways. About 20 years later or so, I met him. Finally saw him again. I didn't know the things that had gone on in his life. I didn't know he'd had a stroke that pretty much left him where he he had to have a, a, a a help helper that helped him get around. The only way he can come to church here is if they bring him. Didn't know anything about his life. Do you know why? Because we stopped spending time together. And a relationship minus time spent together will always lead to the death of that relationship. It doesn't matter. You put it in a marriage. You, you let a couple, a husband and wife quit spending time together. Death of that relationship eventually. You, I, they may not even divorce, but it'll be just two people living in that house with no relationship. Kids, you, you find time to do everything else and you spit, quit spending time with your kids, it will eventually lead to the death of that relationship. Same, it's the same with Jesus. You, you quit spending time with him. You quit making an, uh, an effort to be in his house, in his presence with other believers. I'm going to tell you the death of that relationship. No, you may not be this all-out sinner. No, you may not do all that. But what happens is the intimacy you once felt with Jesus, it's not there. The way you used to be fired up about him, it's gone. Because I just don't have time to. Look what Jesus said in this parable in verse 13. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it. But they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. I've seen it happen over and over again. You've seen it happen if you've been a part of it. You may have been part of it happening where you fell away. But come back. People come in, they get excited about God. They get excited about what God is doing, where he's taking, he's changing their marriage, he's changing their life, he's doing all this, but then a few months down the road, you can't find them anywhere. They don't return texts, they don't return phone calls. If they see you at Walmart, they go down the other aisle. Come on. What happened? They didn't stick around enough to develop a root. They thought being active in church was the same as intimacy with Jesus. Are you hearing me? Being active in the church does not equal intimacy with Jesus. What we do here on Sundays cannot replace 
what you're doing Monday through Saturday. Sundays, you know what Sundays is? It's a huddle. It's a huddle. We get together. Here's a game plan for the week. This is where I'm going to send you guys to Spring City, to, to, to Dayton, to Evansville, to Athens, to Sweetwater, wherever you, that's where. And we're huddling together, getting our assignments. But then Monday through Saturday, we've got to be pursuing Jesus on our own. We've got to be in the Word on our own. We've got to have prayer time, worship time on our own and feeding that relationship. I'm going to make a point here, and it may be a little confusing at first, but I'll clear it up. If your walk with Jesus isn't based on your walk with Jesus, you don't have a walk with Jesus. Let me clear that up. If your walk with Jesus is based upon whether Bob and the team do your favorite song. You don't have a walk with Jesus. If your walk with Jesus is based upon whether I'm in the pulpit, Pastor Casey, Pastor Ben, Pastor Amanda, or one of them is in the pulpit, and if they're not in the pulpit, well, then you don't have a walk with Jesus. Are you hearing me? You're, you've got to put forth the effort. You've got to be willing to invest your time in developing that relationship. And I'm going to dive deeper into this, but I want to give you four quick ways to help you develop your walk with Jesus. And let me say this. I'm not going to say these and your mind's going to be like, but I'm just reminding you of some things. One, read your Bible. Read. There is no excuse. When I was growing up, you could say, I don't have a Bible, Kelly. But I'm going to tell you, 99% of people have a smartphone and you can download a free app. With a Bible and every translation on it, you can look up different devotionals. You can do different Bible plans with people. Right now, I, I, I put out for our church, anybody that wanted to join, uh, walk going through the Bible in a year. One of my favorite things is when I look at it, seeing what the comments that people made, what they, what this scripture brought out to them, or a question about that, that this scripture. Read your Bible. The second, pay attention. Belong to a church. Notice I didn't say attend church. There's a big difference. Belong to a church. And this is something I'm going to dive into a little bit later this year too because I believe the, the local church, um, and I don't want to get into it. Belong to a church. Can I tell you, you will never find the perfect church. Ever. Ever, if you do find the perfect church, don't go. You'll screw it up for the rest of the people there. There is no perfect church. There is no. Can, can I even get even more honest? Every church has things you're not going to like in it. Every church has something that's going to make you feel uncomfortable. In fact, I tell people my job, I think, is to make you uncomfortable. To make you question, is that really in the Bible? Yeah, go go check it out. Discover it yourself. And get this, get this. Every church, I know, hard to believe it here. Every church has hypocrites. Every church. You may be sitting by one right now. <laughs> I didn't say it in the first service. It kills me. I don't go to church because of hypocrites. That don't keep you from going to Walmart, to the mall, or anywhere else. 
That's not, I don't go to the hospital because there's sick people there. That's what it's for. But the thing about hypocrites that show up in church, at least they're showing up, at least they're trying, at least something is going on in their lives. You'll never find the perfect church. Here's what belonging to a church means. It means you show up and when every opportunity can. You're showing up. It means you're going to be there no matter what. It means you're going to find a place to serve in. It means if there's a need, you're going to feel it because you belong to that church. Praise God, Kill. That's good. My next point may go over it. You want to grow in your walk? Serve others. Our mission and vision statement of this church is very simple. Love God, love people, serve others. Well, Kelly, I don't know where to serve. See one of the pastors. We'll tell you where we need people to serve. There is always opportunities to serve in this house. Jesus said this in Matthew 20, 28. Even the Son of Man. Jesus said, even I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve. And give my life as a ransom for many. Think about this. What if instead of us showing up here with the attitude of, here I am, serve me, cater to me. What if we showed up with the attitude, here I am, where do you need me? Where do you need me? I mean, would that change the dynamics and the atmosphere of this place? Fourth way, develop your walk with Jesus. Include others in your life. I cannot express the importance of this for men and women. Men, you need other men that, 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 has, that, that has permission to speak into you, that has permission to question things you say or question things you do, but also cheer you on. Women, you need other women in your life that are allowed to, to speak into your life when you make a questionable decision or when you post something on Facebook. And they say, hey, hey, this is stupid. Take it down. You, you need women in your life to speak into you and to cheer you on. Include others in your life. Man, we think this lone wolf mentality is is something we ought to be proud of. That gets a lot of men in trouble. We need other men in our life. Women, you need other women in your life. Uh, Proverbs 27, uh, 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. You want to grow? These things, these four things will help you develop deep roots. But get this. It won't do anything for God's love for you. But it'll do a whole lot for your love for God. God loves you regardless of if you do any of these four things. What it's going to do is do something for your love for God. Let's get on to this, and I'm going to be quick. The third response to the question, will you be a follower of Jesus? Should I go here, Ben? I can't afford to. I'd like to serve Jesus, but it's going to mess with my money. I'd follow Jesus, but it's going to affect my money. Let's go back to this parable, verse 14. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. Jesus said those that sit in this seat, They're not disciples. They're not followers because things, money, pleasures. See, remember what I said. Jesus is after your heart. 
your heart. Look what he said in Matthew 6, 21. For your heart will always pursue what you esteem as your treasure. And others, what you put your worth in. What you deem worthy, that's what you're going to go after with your heart. I, I used to tell single people all this all the time when they were deep in a relationship and they'd been in that and they'd come to Denise and say, hey, will you pray about this relationship? I'm like, is your heart, do you love, I love, it's too late for me to pray. Because 99% you're going to go with your heart over what you know God's telling you to do. That's just true. Because we've seen it so many times. Why? Because he says your heart will always pursue what you value as worth as worthy. Listen, contrary to popular belief, I'm not after your money. Jesus doesn't need your money. He's after your heart. See, everything we have, every good thing we have is because of him. The psalmist said in Psalm 16 too, every good thing I have comes from you. You remember the story of the rich young ruler? He came to Jesus and he said, hey, master, how can I inherit eternal life? Casey pointed this out to me. He didn't say, hey, what, what do I need to do to have a relationship with you? He says, what can I do to get something from you? And Jesus says, okay, here's what's doing. And Jesus goes and lays out these Ten Commandments to him. And the yet rich young ruler is like, I've done all those. I follow those. I obey those. And Jesus said, okay. Sell everything you've got and give it to the poor. And the Bible says that the rich young ruler walked away from there sad because he had a lot of stuff. Because he valued stuff over relationship with Jesus. Everything good that I have is because of Jesus. I'm going to be quick. Luke 8 tells a great story where Jesus shows up and the garrisons and this demon-possessed man meets him and, uh, and comes out. And this is a man that they couldn't keep clothes on him. They chain him up. He'd get out of the town, knew all about him. And, man, he comes out. And that, that's the welcoming party for Jesus, a demon-possessed guy. And Jesus speaks directly to the demons inside of him. The demons come out of that man. This man now is clothed. He's having a conversation. And the demons were like, hey, listen, can, will you send us at least into those pigs? Jesus is like, yeah, go ahead. Go. And they go into the pigs. And the pigs, when, they, when the demons go inside the pigs, well, the pigs have a suicide pact. They all run off. 2,000 pigs run off the side of the cliff. They drown and die. Well, the people hear about this. And they go, man, you won't believe it. The guy that was demon-possessed, that was scaring everybody, he's sound mind. But those demons that were in, they ran to the pigs. They killed themselves. And the Bible says this, that they came to Jesus and begged him to leave. Why? Because to them, the pigs represented income. And they would rather have the presence of the pigs over the presence of Jesus. And there's some here, some watching online. You would rather have the presence of, you name it. What is it? What is it in your life? But that trumps. You want that more than you want the presence of Jesus in your life. And that's why you sit in this seat here. The last thing. Will you be a follower of Jesus? The last response. I can't believe I get to. 
I can't believe I get to be a follower of Jesus. Anybody that knows me well knows I am an adrenaline junkie. I have jumped out of planes on more than one occasion. I've bungee jump, jumped. I've jumped off of bridges. I've jumped off of cliffs into the water. Uh, uh, a few years back, man, uh, the men were down in Daytona, and, and uh, Bill Elliott paid for me to be able to get inside an actual NASCAR and take three laps around Daytona 500 at speeds of somewhere between 160 and 175. And I got, I got out of that car like, I'm going to be a NASCAR driver. I can do this. Do they need a pastor in NASCAR? And if you follow me, follow me and Denise on social media in their vacation. One of my highlights is scuba diving. I love it. I, there's, I mean, to me, it's therapy. I can't hear anything but yourself breathing. And then when I come across this massive turtle on, on one of my dives, and I was like, I was trying to get as close as I could. Then on the last dive uh, that I got to go on on that Tuesday, we went and came across this six-foot nurse shark. I was so pumped. I can't believe I get to see this. I can't believe I get to do this. When I think about God and Jesus and what he's done for me, I can't believe the love he shows me. I can't believe the grace he pours on me. I can't believe after my faithlessness that I get to sit in this chair. I can't believe I get to. Can't believe I get to. Not because of how good Kelly is. That's why I can't believe it. Because I'm at the core, I'm not good. I'm not that great. I know it's hard to believe. There are days I have bad attitudes. There are days, man, that, that you don't want to cross me. There are days I blow it. That's why I can't believe I still get to sit in this seat. I still can't believe that he still loves me, even with all my faults. I still can't believe that he chose me. Not because he needed me, because he wanted me. When, when there were people that did not want Kelly, God wanted me. You, you don't believe me? Ask the people that knew me years ago. And they heard that Kelly Goins was coming back up to pastor. Oh, that church won't be there. Oh, it's going to hell in a handbasket, whatever that means. Hell in a handbasket. And I stand for you, it has nothing to do with me. It is all because of God. And because I know me, I can't believe I get to do this. I can't believe I get to live for Him daily. I can't believe I get to go out and proclaim the gospel. I can't get, believe I get to get up in the morning and my health and breathe a deep breath of air because every, it, by all matters, I should have been dead by some of the stupid stuff I did. I can't believe I get to. Stand with me across this room. Look at verse 15. The seed fell on good soil stands for those with a noble heart and good heart who hear the word retain it 
and by persevering produce a crop. That persevering this week as I studied this really stood out to me. Because some, somehow we've got, to, we've got to where we think as if we become a Christian that things should be easy. But no, this lets me know those that persevere through a storm, those who persevere through a bad doctor's report, those who persevere through an addiction, those who persevere through a failed marriage, those who persevered sat in this seat and they produced a crop. Here's the thing about these seats. They don't look any different on the outside. They all look the same. You couldn't tell one from the other if you were to I asked you to pick which one was. What is the difference? Remember what I said? Jesus is after the heart. It's the inside. It's the inside that matters. What's going on inside of you? Are you a follower of Jesus or are you simply fond of Jesus? I love it. When Jesus showed up on that shore and he said, follow me, you you know what he didn't say? He said, hey, guys, 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 clean up your act, get your stuff together, pray this prayer, then you can follow me. He simply said, follow me. Why? Because Jesus knew this. If I can get them following me, spending time in my presence, the rest of it will come. The rest of it will come. Some of you say, Kelly, I just just don't know, man. I, I know the truth, but I just don't want to hear it. And some of you, the reason you don't want to hear it is because you don't feel like you can live it. But I'm going to tell you, if you'll begin to follow and begin to spend time in his presence, the rest of it will follow. It's not about being perfect. It's not about being, having it all together. It's not about doing it right every time. It's simply about following. I consider this, getting falling down, tripping up eight times, I consider myself successful if I got up nine. I fell eight, but I got up nine. That's successful to me. That's successful. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Some of you, you know you're in one of these first three chairs. Either I don't want to hear it, I don't have time to, I can't afford to. And you know the truth. Some of you have been sitting in that chair and you're like, I, I, don't, I know what the Bible says. I know I need to surrender my life. I know that, but kill, I just don't want to hear it. But today, something is softened in you. And you're saying, like, Kelly, I, I know I've got a long way to go. But I want to surrender. I want, I want that to start today. I want to start actually following Jesus today. And in that, allowing being in his presence to change me. I can't change myself. I've tried it. Today, I want to decide to follow. If that's you, 
I will not embarrass you with the heads bowed, eyes closed. Just raise your hand. I want to pray for you wherever you're at. Come on, I know you're here. Kelly, today I want to make a decision to follow. Maybe you're here. And you're like, you know what, Kelly? I, I'm not sitting in that last seat that says I can't believe I get to because I've let a lot of stuff stand in between. I put a lot of stuff on the scale before Jesus. And I've not been willing to walk away from those things to pursue Him and Him only. But today, I want to make a decision to begin to follow Him with the attitude, I can't believe I get to. I can't believe I get to live for Him. I can't believe I get to give. I can't believe I get to serve. I can't believe I get to do life with these people. I can't believe I get to be married to this person. I can't believe it. And you want that shift in your attitude from I don't have time to, to I can't afford to. And you want that shift to go to I can't believe I get to. If that's you, just raise your hand. Man, I've got my hand raised because there are days when I want to get up out of that seat. Come on, if that's you, raise your hand. I want to pray for you right where you're at. Father, right now you see the hands raised that say, I want to live with that expectation of I can't believe I get to. God, I want to live with that. You see those hands, and I pray that you would place that in our hearts. Wherever we say, I can't, I don't have time, or I can't afford to. God, you you would remind us that every good thing we have is because of you. And without you, we are nothing. And God, we want to live for you, lights out. We want to live for you with every fiber of our being and of our energy, God. We give ourselves completely to you right now in the name of Jesus Bob sing that chorus